Our Bible this reading this morning is from the book of Judges. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn there. It's in Judges chapter 6, a story that you probably know full well. It's about a man by the name of Gideon. We want to talk a little bit about faith this morning. And Gideon, uh, I think, is an example of, of, at least in the beginning, of how not to do things. And so I am giving you a negative example. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 and then skip to um, verse 36. Judges reads, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were a group of nomads that would come into the land and rob everything. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Took them seven years to get to that point where they asked God to help them, by the way. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat down, came and sat un, sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." But Sir Gideon replied, "If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So here's God's command, God's direction to Gideon. And then jumping down to verse 36, uh, after we've been through some preliminaries, uh, finally Gideon gets to the point, and he, you know, like, what part of that do you not understand, Gideon? Uh, and so Gideon says to God, and, and here's his lack of faith showing. It's not faith that he's asking God to do this. It's a lack of faith on his part. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So God gave him what he asked for, in doubt. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me, just make, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. 
This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. And sometimes we as Christians, we put out a fleece trying to determine the will of God. Gideon knew what God's will was. Gideon, God had said, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel. And um, Gideon doubted, and so God in his grace gave Gideon a sign. What an absolute, excuse me, marvelous, marvelous reality. Calvary's love. But then the question is, what are we going to do with it? So, let me take you to Luke chapter 7. We'll try to hear what God is saying to us this morning. I want to talk to you about faith. And in a way, this is a bit of a curious story about faith, but hopefully we can pull it together and understand to, together what it means to have faith. Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin reading at verse 1, and Jesus has just finished with this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And so Luke says, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum is a little town on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's the town where Peter lived, and it kind of became Jesus' headquarters for a while during his earthly ministry. So when he had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. What does that have to do with authority? We'll try and figure that out. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's try and understand this passage, but before we get to that, I need to tell you a little story. Yesterday, when the guys were up on the roof, and there was a horrendous pile of snow, and dug, what, four feet up on the roof here on, on 
you know, in the valley here, four feet of snow. And I'm back and forth, and, and the guys decided while they were up there, they would clear about half of the roof off, and, and, and all the snow that dumped off over there, I'm back and forth with my little, little snowblower, and, and blew all that snow into the ditch, fine and dandy, but this pile over here in the corner kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I couldn't keep up with it. And finally, what happened, we asked Dave Peterson to come with his bobcat and push it out of there, which is why it isn't there. But if you want to take a look at the backside uh, of the church when you leave here this morning, there's a pile that goes all the way up to the eaves that the guys push down. So there's a bunch of guys up there shoveling snow off the roof. There were no mishaps that I know of, although Levi did come around the side of the building with a very sheepish look on his face one time. I have no idea what happened there. Climbed back up the ladder and went, do you know what happened there, Al? Oh, okay. Oh, seeing Al Mahoney. Do you, do you know what? Remember last week? Remember I told, talked about, about getting your stuff back, you know? About, about people, you know, not returning stuff and, and getting it back? So I asked Al if he'd brought my snow rake back, which he had borrowed two days before, and Al said, yes, he had. So this week I'm in my shed looking for something, and I see this paper bag on the floor of myself, in my shed, and I look in there, what's in that paper bag? <gasps> That's a tool that I borrowed from Al back in, in August. <laughs> so I, I apologize to him already. So. Anyway, so at, at the end of this project, we've got this pile of snow right here, right beside the, the door here. And the guys just stand there on the edge of the roof and hop off. They just onto this pile of snow. Now, um, somehow those guys had the faith that they could jump off the roof and not get hurt. The last few trips that I took off roofs, Um, I wound up very short of breath at the bottom and going to the hospital because of broken ribs. Now, somehow they had the faith to jump off that roof and realizing that they wouldn't get hurt anymore. What enabled these guys to take that little hop off the roof to land in that pile of snow? How did they know that that little hop wouldn't end with a bad landing? Even an old guy like Sterling French did it. How did they know that that wouldn't add in a bad experience? So there had to be a degree of faith and trust based on past experience. A, that the snow would be relatively forgiving. There had to be a degree of logic involved. I know that the snow is going to stop me before I get to the pavement that's going to be underneath the snow. Now, because they're guys, there had to be a smidgen of, this could really be fun, plus a little shot of who gives a rip. And if everybody else did okay, then I should be able to survive it as well, right? And so there were no mishaps, and everything turned out okay. But, you see, if you're going to have faith, it needs to be built on the right foundation, because if you have a blind faith, it just leads to disaster, like the little guy who builds himself a set of wings and jumps off the roof of the barn, thinking that he's going to fly because Superman did it on the movie that he just finished seeing. It's, you know, there's a blind faith there. 
But these guys knew that if they hopped off the roof onto this pile of snow, that they would probably be okay. So here's the point. If you have the right faith, it enables you to cope with the struggles of life. If you have the right faith, see, life is full of struggles. But if you have the right faith, it allows you to cope with those struggles and and without getting hurt or doing something totally, totally dumb. So, let's talk a little bit about the facts of life. In Israel here, back to the story in Luke chapter 7, the story is about a guy who's called a centurion. The centurion was a Roman soldier, and his job, he was in charge, he was in command of something called a century. A century is how many? 100, right? So he was in command of 100 soldiers. And unlike many other Roman soldiers, this particular Roman soldiers in this little town of Capernaum happened to be well-liked. Because the elders of the Jews said he loves Israel. He was an anomaly. He loves Israel, and he built us a synagogue. And so when he was in trouble, he interceded with some of his Jewish friends and asked them to go to Jesus. And the elders of the Jews interceded for him. Now this guy had a servant who was highly valued by his master. This servant was sick, and he was about to die. Those are the facts. Now, for us, sometimes life comes unglued as well. For some, it was the NBC soccer tournament last weekend. There are accidents. There are oopses. There are falls. There are different things that can happen. I remember one of, the, one of the NBC students that was here a number of years ago, his favorite pastime was bull riding. Do you remember him, Wes? All banged up, beat up, his leg up, pinned, and, and I don't know what all else. And I said, how much fun have you had? Oh, this is great fun, he said. Life happens. Now, Certainly, certain activities tend to be more risky than others. And so people that got hurt playing soccer, I said, you should do something safe like playing hockey. Well, uh, you know, uh, and, and I almost got hurt. I entertained my friends supremely on Friday when we got done playing hockey and I got finished dressing and I stuck my foot through the handle of my hockey bag and went sailing into the wall of the dressing room. And the guy said, you know, that's really something, getting hurt in the dressing room. Oh. <laughs> But life happens. There's illness. Sometimes these things come out of nowhere and blindside us. Bert Janow went for a routine procedure, and the doctor says, you got cancer, you need an operation. There are broken lives. There are marriages that come unglued. There are relationships that fail. There are children who are out of control. There are addictions. There are issues within relationship and work and finances, and sometimes life just happens to us. There is the reality of aging that some of us are dealing with, this loss of vitality and flexibility and income and independence and, 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 and mourning and loneliness and pain and all the rest of that. And so how do you deal with that? You've been through, a lot of you have been through some of these things. How do you deal with that? Well, you can... You can live in denial. You can try that for a while, and it works for a certain amount of time. 
You can say, I'm just going to pretend that this doesn't exist. It's like the man with whom I shared the stage at a diabetes symposium in Saskatoon. He said, he said, when I was 17 years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He said, I decided to ignore it. I decided, ah, this doesn't mean anything. And he says, I kept on living. I kept on partying. I did everything that I wanted to do. Nobody was going to tell me to change my life. I was 17 years old. And he said, for my 21st birthday, I received the gift of blindness. You can live in denial for a while, but it'll bite you after a bit. There are some people who, when life happens to them, get angry and they wind up becoming bitter and hard and driving everyone away from them. I wound up, and many of you know this, about a number of, well, a long time before I came here, I wound up seriously depressed. I didn't plan on it, came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it, and I became an angry and bitter person. I hadn't asked for it. I hadn't planned for it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I couldn't fix it. And so I became an angry and bitter person and drove every single one of my friends away from me. People wind up bargaining, trying to make deals with God or with ourselves. If I do enough good, maybe this will go away. And other people say, well, if this is the way it's going to be, maybe I'll just lay down and wait to die. And some people will say, as long as you have faith, it will work out. But faith in what or faith in whom? And there is a faith-based reality. And if you go back to this story, these are interesting things this man said. The centurion sent friends to say to him, and and so here's the conversation, or here's what this centurion had to say to Jesus. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He recognized that there was someone greater than he was. Someone who had more authority. He recognized that Jesus had carried more weight, carried more punch, had more authority than he did. That's, he said, that is why I do not even, did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So he said to Jesus, I recognize your authority. And then he said to Jesus, I understand this authority concept. He said to Jesus, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so he says to Jesus, I recognize your authority. I understand this authority concept. And although it wasn't in words, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, he said, I will submit to your authority. Do not trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He says to Jesus, I recognize your authority. I understand about authority. And I will submit myself to your authority because all you have to do is say, you don't need to come here. All you have to do is say so, and I know it's going to be okay. And Jesus responds by saying this. I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. 
And how did submission to authority get transferred into or transformed into faith? I think we need to try and understand it. You see, in our world, we need to have faith, not just blind faith, but faith in the God of the universe. Christianity is a credible faith based on observation and understanding. If you look at what Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 say, that should pop up on the screen here momentarily. There it is. The Bible says, what may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Say, how can you say, I saw it on secular TV this week, there are more stars in the universe, in the, there are more stars, let me rephrase that, there are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on, on the entire planet Earth. Talks about God's invisible qualities. It's not a blind faith based on, on, on somebody or something that's out there, but it's a faith that is based on there is a God who put all this together. And the reality of faith, the essence of faith, is not so much just, just working myself up into some kind of faith thing, but the reality of faith is basically a submission to authority, a recognition that there is an authority who is bigger, stronger, better than you and I are. And how does that enable us to cope with the struggles of faith, struggles of life, rather? You see, faith is essentially a submission to authority. So how does that help us? When life comes unglued, when stuff starts to happen to us, when we are in a place where we're struggling, how? Does faith help me? And it starts with an acceptance of the sovereignty of God. Now that can either comfort us or anger us, can make us mad. Because you see, God, if, if God is sovereign, then he can do what he wants to do. And you remember the story of Job? See, God did stuff to Job that, that Job didn't understand. And Job didn't like it, and Job got angry about it. And his three friends kept saying to him, well, Job, you must have done something dumb. Job said, no, and I don't deserve this, and this isn't right, and I, you know, God's got to explain this stuff to me. And God's answer to Job was this. God says to Job, and he says this to you and me, and we may not like it, but God says to you and me, I'm in control here. I get to make the decisions. Doesn't sit right. I don't like that. Because I want to run my own life. I'm in control here. <coughs> in my wisdom and love, I get to make the decisions. You see, it's kind of like <coughs> when you're working for somebody. And if that person signs your paycheck, then he or she 
has the right to tell you what to do. And you may say to your boss, I don't make coffee. And your boss says, you know what, I'm paying you, go make coffee. You still say, I don't make coffee, and then your boss will say, well, then go home and I'll find somebody who will. You see, someone who is an authority over us has the right and the power to tell us what to do. And like the centurion, you and I need to get to a place where we recognize authority and we then submit to it. We need to get to a place where we recognize authority. I went to another Bible college other than Nippon. One of the reasons I didn't know, I didn't even know about Nippon existed at that particular time. The only thing I knew about Bible colleges was that my niece was at one in northern Alberta, and then I'd read about this one in the book Peace Child, and, uh, and I'd heard it was a pretty tough place, and I thought, well, if it's a tough place, the, the students who go there are probably there to, to uh, learn rather than to horse around, because my niece, she just had a year of fun at mom and dad's expense and failed every course in the book, so I chose that school, and there were rules there. And I didn't like some of those rules. I'd been self-employed. I mean, like, you know, nobody tells me what to do. But I remember one of the students with whom I went to school was an ex-U.S. Marine. Been in the Marine Corps, served in Vietnam. And somebody asked him, don't, doesn't, don't the rules here bother you? And this guy was an ex-soldier, and he said, I hadn't noticed there were any rules you know, he was a man who was used to being under authority. He was used to having rules in his life. His commanding officers told him what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and he went out and did what they told him to do. And he had others who were under him, and he told them what to do, and they did what he said to do. That's the way the Marine Corps works. When you are under authority... You get told what to do. When you have authority, you get to tell others what to do. And God is the ultimate authority, and he gets to tell us what to do. And it's faith in action starts with an acceptance of the sovereignty of God. You see, and one of humanity's biggest issues is right here. Because if we ever admit, if people ever admit to God being sovereign, it's like opening up a big can of worms. And Murphy's Law says once you open up a can of worms, you never get all the cans back in, or all the worms back in. And you open up that can of worms that starts with the sovereignty of God, you've got a big mess to deal with. Because then we need to understand what sovereignty means. And that means that God has the right to make decisions without asking for our approval or understanding. You see, this centurion was a man who exercised authority over others, but he was also under authority. He says, there are people who tell me what to do, and I get to tell other people what to do. And the trouble is that you and I want the authority for ourselves without having to submit to it. See, we want to make our own decisions. We want to tell other people what to do, but we don't want to submit to it. And this is what causes huge problems in marriages and families and workplaces and churches. And the reality is that you cannot, 
exercise authority unless you first learn to submit to authority. And we struggle with that submission part. And it means that God has the power to put his decisions into action without asking or waiting for our approval. So when my life comes unglued, is God involved? You betcha. Do I have to submit to it? What choice do I have? I'm far better off submitting to what God has for me than trying to rebel against it. Because ultimately, we need to submit to God's authority. Remember Ben Luke wandered around on the platform here a number of weeks ago? Ben's in Ireland right now, and, and I emailed him the other day, and I said, how's it coming for you there? He says, are you able to understand people? And he emailed back and said, well, I've got problems with some of them. But he said it's going better all the time. But Ben said he needed to learn three things. He needed to learn submission, obedience, and humility in order to cope with his addictions. His addictions were so out of control. Spent a couple of stints in prison. Made a mess out of his life. Blew up a relationship. And in order for him to get free of that, he had to learn humility, submission, and obedience. And then faith winds up as an overriding trust in God rather than a blind resignation to fate. You see, the guys hopped off the roof here because they trusted the nature of the snow. They knew that snow had just come off the roof. They knew that that pile wasn't frozen solid. And because they trusted the nature of that snow, they submitted themselves to the laws of gravity. And When they hopped off that roof onto that pile of snow, they said, I know that this is going to work for me. I'm placing my faith in the fact that that snow down there is relatively soft. It's big enough to cushion me before I get to the bottom and hit the pavement, and I'm going to be okay. And so I am going to submit myself to the law of gravity and hop off the roof. And they did. And nobody got hurt. For you and me, faith is a trust in God which allows us to submit to his purpose and design without fear of destruction. I will probably be afraid at times. I will probably not understand what is going on. But you know what? I will continue to trust in God in spite of my fear. The centurion said, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell that one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. How's your faith factor? Are you submitting to God? Are you allowing him to be your sovereign, to have his way? Or are you rebelling against what God has for you? Let's pray together. Father, it's one thing to say we trust you. And it's one thing to say I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. But it's another thing entirely to say, Lord, I have faith that you know what's best, and I will submit 
to whatever you have for me. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your purposes. Thank you for your promises that never fail. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to trust in you regardless of what comes our way in this week and in the days to come. Father, grant us your peace, your blessing, and please continue to work in our lives and be patient with us. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.